because every every believer is called to battle. The life of Christianity is not one of ease and comfort. On the contrary, it's one of absolute discomfort. It is one of persecution, of rejection, of disappointment, of um, tribulation, trials, temptations, very severe temptations, in fact. Uh, and also, um, it's one that uh, would cost us everything, even our lives, if necessary. And we must be ready. So, you see, the Christian walk is not for the faint-hearted, I must say. It is not for the faint-hearted. And this is why I don't understand the um, easy believism that is being sold to the people today. Oh, yes, just come, say Jesus is Lord, and off you go. Now you just name your blessing, and you walk in prosperity, and you're supposed to have this. Now you should not be ill. You shouldn't suffer sickness. There's no reason why you don't. You shouldn't have all the money. God is going to transfer the wealth of the unbelievers into your hands because you're a child of the kingdom. Do you know, all that heretical teaching is from, from, from the very pits of hell. From the very pits of hell. The walk of Christianity is not one of comfort. No, it isn't. And you cannot expect comfort from it. Now, the comfort we receive is in the word of God, in the hope of our salvation. The comfort we receive is knowing that it doesn't matter what we go through here in the world. We are going to live for eternity in the presence of the Lord, where there will be no more sin, no more problems, no more troubles. But as for this world, Jesus our Lord said, in this world you will have tribulation. He didn't say you may have tribulation. He didn't say uh, perhaps there might be some tribulation. He said, in this world you will have tribulation. He said, but take heart. I have overcome. I have overcome the, the world. And therein lies our joy. That's our victory. The fact that Jesus overcame the world and that victory is also ours but we don't then just sit on our laurels and say, well, Jesus overcame, so that's it now. Now he's done that bit, that's done with. I can now just enjoy myself and become prosperous and I've got to make a name for myself and I've got to own this and possess that because um, but the Bible says, wherever I set my foot is my possession. No, that was God's promise to the people of Israel when he told them to go into the land of Canaan. That does not apply to you and I today. We are actually told that this world is not our home. That we are aliens here. Our citizenship is in heaven. Because I hear that quoted a lot of times when uh, the deceivers are trying to coin money out of people. They give them all those false illusions as to ooh, the kind of children of God that they are. Oh God, I said everywhere you step your foot is your territory. Really? Really? Let's face it. I mean, if that is the case, why are people struggling with all these immigration issues and things? I came here as an, as an alien 30 years ago. And at the time I came, I was a student and everything like that. I had to go through processes and everything to, to obtain papers to stay here legitimately. And so if that had been the case, although I wasn't born again at the time, but the fact remains that if it were really the case, literally, that everywhere you set your foot is your possession, then quite honestly, I mean, when we set our foot in it, we're not supposed to work or toil or anything. Everything's supposed to come to us because that was the deal with the Israelites. When God said to them, go into the land of Canaan, go and possess it. I've given it to you. You're going into a land where you have not sown. You're going to harvest fruit that you did not plant. You're going to, you know, eat from, you know, grapevines or drink from grapevines you did not sow. God gave them everything on a silver platter. And what did they do with it anyway? Nothing. 
nothing because they, they, they did not fulfill the purpose for which the Lord set them apart. Now, scripture is there for you and I to learn from. It is not a history book as many treat it. A lot of people say, oh, no, we're in New Covenant times now, so um, we're in the New Testament days, so we don't need to concentrate or read the Old Testament. If you do not read the Old Testament, you cannot, you cannot understand the New. You simply can't understand the New. Because everything in the Old Testament pointed to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. It was all about God. And everything pointed to the coming of the Messiah, God the Son, into this world. And he did. And he did say to us that he did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Jesus was the fulfillment of the Old Testament laws, the Old Testament covenant. He was the fulfillment of it. How? Through his obedience. Through his oneness with God. Through his loyalty. Because he was able to show the people the righteousness that God desires of us. Now that righteousness is imputed to us and imparted to us who belong to Christ today. And we're supposed to live for it and by it. Our personal righteousness can never do us a thing, could not achieve us anything and still cannot achieve us anything. But the righteousness of Christ Jesus is imputed to us at the time we come to him and is imparted to us so that we continue living in that way. And this is why Paul the Apostle said to us in in Ephesians 6 from verse 10, which we've been studying for a while, and we're still going to be on this for a very long time because there's a lot to talk about. Because the warning he gives there, the counsel, the exhortation Paul gives there is greatly disobeyed or dishonored or, or ignored in this age. Finally, he said, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces in, of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Many Christians, well, professing Christians, are fallen already, are defeated already. Many are lying in in the embrace of the devil. They're lying in his arms, in sensual embrace, because of the evil desires of their hearts that they have given precedence over the word of God. And it says, I haven't done everything to stand, because when the day of evil comes, you know what? The day of evil is always here. The days are evil, the Bible says. There is no good day. It's just that one day is more evil than the other. Some days are tough. We are in a constant battle as as believers. It's just that some days the battle is tougher than on, on other days. You will have times when you think that the entire world is going to cave in on me. Now, the, you know, life, I just wonder, really, God, are you really, really there for me? You know, those sort of times will come. I'm not saying doubting God, but, be, be, you know, the, the battle will be so fierce that you almost despair of life itself. Even the apostles went through that. Paul said it. Once he said there was so much tribulation that they, they almost despaired of life itself. And then there are some days when the battle is very easy and you just walk over it. Temptation comes in various levels, various degrees. 
some are so mild it's easy to overlook it. Very easy. And some are so strong that you, 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 you get you on your knees to overcome. You have to be on your knees and travail in prayer to rise above them. So it depends. But we are constantly in battle. Christianity is not a walk on easy street. It is not. And if that is what you're expecting, you, you, you have fallen already. You have fallen already because Satan is there with all the idle notions to lead you astray. He doesn't want to in battle because the battle is against him. Because he's the enemy of the believer's soul. And so the battle is against him. Now, when I say the battle is against him, we are not told here to launch an assault against Satan. Because we can't. We simply can't. We cannot launch an assault against him. So all that binding of the devil that people are led to do, I've said it a thousand times, and I'll say it again, is futile, it is immature, it is childish, it is useless. And as long as you're doing that, you know what? Satan's looking at you and laughing. He's coughing at you like, good grief. This is one lost soul. Because you're not instructed to fight in that way. People who tell you all about demonic spirits and everything, they tell you as though, you know, as though they were in the heavenly realms seeing everything that's going on. We do not see what is going on in the heavenly realms. This is where we have been put to serve God. Angels serve in the spiritual realm. And you have no business trying to do what angels do in the same way that angels have no business trying to do what we do for God here. The angels in the uh, in the very first world before God destroyed the the earth and its inhabitants in the first place, the angels who actually left their territory and came and intermingled with mankind were destroyed. They are still in the dungeons, still there awaiting their final destruction. So you see, they are there. They have not been let loose to keep running around again. They are in the dungeons awaiting their, their end which God will put in place when he's ready to it's none of our business so you see you have we as human beings have no business peering into the spiritual realm as though we could see what was going on in there so you have all these people who keep telling you about how you need deliverance and this demon and that demon is this and, and then they're binding the demons and they're, and they're shouting Holy Ghost fire and they're leading you all these futile prayers what am I go? how many times have you seen the Holy Spirit run any fire anywhere I mean all those imaginary battles that people go into look what Jude says in Jude, Jude talking about apostates and false teachers from verse 8 of Jude, it says, In the very same way, these dreamers pollute their own bodies, reject authority, and slander celestial beings. But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not dare to bring a slanderous accusation against him, but said, The Lord rebuke you. Yet, these men speak abusively against whatever they do not understand. And what things they do understand by instinct... Like unreasoning animals, these are the very things that destroy them. So if you let yourself get caught up in all this getting into stupid battles with Satan that you cannot see, it is not for you to get into battle. You cannot stand him. You cannot withstand him. We don't have that power. We do not have that power. It's very simple. Satan is powerful. Only His power is only subordinate to God's. His intelligence is only subordinate to God's. We are told to stand firm. Put on the full armor of God. 
we're told. On our own, we can do nothing. It is only wearing the full armor of God that we can stand in this battle called life on earth. So binding the devil and throwing him in the abyss and you're just fooling yourself. You've, you've defeated already. The fact that you don't even know how to wage war means you're defeated already. Because the reason you do not know how to wage war is because you have not embraced the word of God. Because you know what? In the word of God, in scripture, is everything we need for life and everything else. Everything we need for the battle. We are equipped. Fully equipped. But then that depends on you. Whether you'd rather believe the written word or you'd rather believe the mouth of your sweet speaking minister. Who huffs and puffs himself up as though he were something when he is absolutely nothing. Ensnared by the devil themselves, they purport to, to deliver you from the snares of Satan. But you see, the thing is this. A person who is not serving Christ in spirit and in truth is serving, is serving the devil, is a messenger of Satan. So how then can they deliver you? They are themselves ensnared to the evil one. So how can they liberate you when they are themselves in bondage? And unfortunately, there is nothing called an innocent false teacher. You are either on the side of Christ or pulled in the word of truth, even with your life, or you are not. There is no neutral ground. Now, some people are purely satanic servants, you know, who just know full well they go and they go and receive occultic powers and everything to go into ministry just to go and take advantage of people not just materially but actually rob them of their souls for the devil yeah we have those ones and then we have those who go in for for reasons of selfish ambition just to make money looks like almost everyone nowadays you know, who can't do very well in their profession or in their own personal business or something, decides, okay, I'll go into ministry. There's lots of money to be made there. So they come out and they lie. Those are the adherents of the health and wealth prosperity gospel. I hate referring to it as a gospel because it's no gospel. It's bad news. And gospel actually means good news. There's only one gospel. Outside of Jesus Christ, there's no good news for anyone. It's bad news all the way. Because outside of the message of salvation, outside of the redemption offered by the Lord, outside of reconciliation to God the Father, there's nothing good about you, about life. Because anyone who is not in Christ is destined for judgment and condemnation. He's hell-bound. So where, where then is the gospel? So I hate to refer to this health and prosperity and wealth doctrines. Yeah, Maybe I prefer to use that rather than the word gospel. And so all people who come out preaching that are nothing but agents of Satan because the message they are giving is not from God but from the devil. So even though they do not delve in the occultic and all that, the fact that they are not teaching the word of life means they are condemned already because the teachings do nothing but ensnare people to Satan and anyone who is ensnared to Satan and believes Satan or follows Satan is hellbound. So this is what I'm saying. There is no innocent false teacher. But everybody wants to teach because they think it's prestigious, because there's lots of money to make, because people love power and authority. 
people love power and authority. So everybody wants to teach. Everybody wants to be a pastor or that's what they call themselves, the, the bishop or the apostle. Or pro- everybody just wants a lot of authority. Wants to lord it over all the others. You don't get all that from the from the Old Testament servants. So the servants of this age, and look, James warns about this in James chapter 3. He said, not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Definitely. We will be judged more strictly. And that is why I cannot compromise the word of God for anybody's sake or for any reason whatsoever. I don't need anything from any man. I work with my own hands, diligently with my own hands. And God blesses the works of my hands, so I'm able to meet my own earthly needs. I don't need tithes from anybody. I don't need anyone's seeds or offerings. I don't. We don't even collect all that sort of nonsense in the, in, in the church that I lead because it's not necessary. We put money together every now and then to pay for facilities and things. But as for people making covenants so that can get a hundredfold such foolish talk has never come out of my mouth and never will because there's no need for it that is not what they can i i do not serve a needy god who cannot do anything unless he sees the resources in man's hands financially first as has been advocated by a lot of rogues they're all over the television all over the radio airwaves telling you that god cannot do anything unless you activate him with your with your giving God freely gave us all things. All things. We didn't pay him a penny to create anything. And we did not pay him anything to sustain all things. He gives blessing to the unbelievers. They live in this world. They thrive. They enjoy. They make money. They, they have wealth. They have sunshine. They, they, they have rain. They have harvest in its time. They have everything. Like believers have. But does that mean they're godly? No, it doesn't. Does that mean they're sons of God? No, it doesn't. Because then their end will come. All they have to live for is this present world. And that's where the difference is between the believer and the non-believer. In this life, we will have tribulation, Jesus said, but we're not supposed to be looking forward to this world. So where you have all these teachers that tell you things about what you can achieve here, what you ought to be here, what you ought to attain here, what's the problem? We are told to take our affections off this world. And set our affections on heaven. We are not redeemed so that we can be prosperous business people in the world. We are not redeemed so that we can so that we will not have sickness or illnesses. If that were the case, then we shouldn't die. The eternal life we promise is not in this life we have now. This lives we the lives we now have will pass with this world. That's why believers to die from the world. But the life we have, the eternal life we've been promised, is the hope that we have, that is the hope of our salvation, which is what should excite us, which is what gives us peace and joy. Is that knowing that when we leave this world, we are only just beginning to live. In the promise of God, Jesus came here into the world. He went to that cross and took on all the pain and agony, shed his blood, not so that you and I can have better finances or that we, be, we can become something or someone of prominence in the world, or so that we can suffer no no sickness in this perishing body made out of out of soil. That's not why he came. He came to reconcile, to redeem a people for God, a people who have been elected sovereignly by God, chosen for salvation. It is not for everybody. Salvation is not for everybody. 
not everybody will be saved. As a matter of fact, the majority of people are going to perish. God has sovereignly elected those who belong to him. And those people, he has marked out, he's picked them up, marked them out for his salvation so that they will now, they will leave when God renews all things in line with his promise of the new heavens and the new earth, the home of righteousness. These people will live in the original state of perfection that God created mankind in, in the very first instance. And in those days, there was no sin until Adam and Eve fell. Before then, they knew no sin. Greed and idolatry and jealousy and envy and factions and anger and malice, all those things did not exist. Sexual immorality did not exist. So you see, that is what, those are the people that will live with God eternally. People who do not consider anything in this life worth holding on to. But where you are receiving teachings telling you to grab it and in the world and name it and claim it and possess it and possess your possession, what possession have we been offered in this world? Jesus said very clearly in in, in Luke chapter 12 from verse 13 to 15 there where some guy was saying to him, oh teacher, tell my brother to share the inheritance with me. Because in those days the rabbis had the final say in this matters. Jesus said, man, who, who has appointed me an arbitrator between you? And he looked at all the people who gathered around him and said, Be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Whatever you own, you're going to leave here in the world. You can't take it, so it's not as if you want to gather something for the next life. You cannot take anything out of this world. The Bible makes it clear. We came here with nothing, we're going to leave with nothing. We're told to be on our guard, stand Stand against the devil's schemes. The devil's schemes is what is consuming many people. Through the same channels of temptation, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, Satan is still felling many, many Christians. And he used, I told you before, those were the channels of temptation he used for Adam and Eve. They fell. He used the very same temptation for Jesus Christ our Lord when he was here as a man and Jesus triumphed. And that tells you and I that we also can triumph over every temptation. We read that temptation, we read about that temptation in uh, Matthew chapter 4 from verse 1 to 11. I'm not going to go through it all again. But when we consider the final one in um, from verse 8, again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. Jesus resisted. He resisted the devil by the word of God. Don't forget that Satan also attacked Jesus with the word of God. So unless you're conversant with the word of God, unless you're well-versed, unless you know your scripture and have embraced the scripture, all of scripture, all the New Testament as the truth of God, as the inerrant, infallible word of God, you have nothing to stand on. And you will not be able to stand in the day of evil. And I told you every day is the day of evil because temptation and trials and difficulties will come with each new day. That is life on earth. 
as caused by man, not as orchestrated by God, because God created everything in perfection, but because of the evil of man, because of the evil desires of man, we are in the state we are in, where the world now is a total shambles, and it is getting worse. And you can only stand by the word of God. Now, Satan, God, uh, Jesus resisted the devil. The devil left him. Then the devil left him. And angels came and attended him. Is that exactly what the counsel that James gives? When he says in James chapter 4, he said, Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Don't launch a physical assault on Satan who you cannot physically see or, or his demonic spirit you cannot physically see. And don't believe just because somebody tells you you're possessed by devils. Demons do not just possess people willy-nilly as they choose. Not since the coming of Christ. Nobody's ever, ever, ever um, uh, delivered me out of the hands of any demons. I simply didn't have any. Yes, I had evil thoughts. Yes, I was sinful like everybody else before I came to know Christ. But as soon as I came to know Christ, he delivered me from all those desires and all that evil. I did not have to go through any deliverances. And no one had to exercise any demonic spirits out of me. Although, I must say, when I did belong to a cult once, I was accused of witchcraft. But they never did deliver me. What they said was that I was, what the leader said was I should be told to stop coming to the church because I was full of witchcraft. And I told him, I said, the trouble is, I didn't come here because of you, sir. So you're going to have to leave if you don't like it. And he left. It's amazing. But I mean, years after, now he invites me to everything he does in his church. He's eating his words and he's very sorry about it. He's apologized so many times and it doesn't matter to me. But the fact remains that nobody ever did exercise the said alleged witchcraft out of me because I had nothing. I had none in the first place. What on earth are we talking about witchcraft? Why can black people not detach themselves from this stupid belief in this stupidness of witchcraft and demons chasing them and everything? That's why you cannot progress in your work with Christ because you are too afraid. Now fear does not come from God. You're constantly being told that some demons after you, some witches after you. What's all this nonsense about? Why is it that giving your Christ, your life to Christ, and Christ being in, in now in control of you, if he is, why does that not translate to you, to deliverance? Why do you still need a fellow human being who you don't know where he's from, or what he's been doing, or what he still does, or practices beyond your backs? Why do you need him for deliverance? The Bible says, Cursed is the, man who lo- is the one who looks to man for his strength. That's what the Bible says. So, James speaks here. He says um, in chapter 4, verse 7, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Resist the devil. That's what you're called to do. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. He didn't say launch an assault on the devil. Nothing of the sort. He didn't say cast him and bind him. Resist. How do you resist the devil? By the word of God. When you embrace and fully believe and obey the word of God. And to this end, all the apostles had something to say about this. And you know what? I don't think anyone went through any greater temptation than these guys all went through. They went through persecution. They all, they actually died for their faith in Christ. For their message, for the message of the gospel, they died. John says in First John chapter 2, from verse 15, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. 
The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. There, John lists the three channels of temptation that Satan has and uses as his weapon against mankind. He said, don't. That is how you resist the devil. Take your mind off the world. You must own this. You must possess that. You must you, you must have more of this. The Bible says godliness. Paul the Apostle said, he said, see, I told you, every, all of them had something to say. They all preached the same message. Godliness with contentment is great gain. He says the love of money, the love of money has, led, has led many, and is still leading many into ruin and destruction. Stand against the devil's wiles, the Bible warns us. If you love money so much and you just want more money, more money, you know what? You're defeated already. If you love this world so much, you're afraid of dying from the world, you're defeated already. If you love the world so much that once you get a headache, you start binding and rebuking it and you start running from prophet to pastor for, for healing prayers, you're defeated already. All those people with purported fake healings that they say they do. I do not dispute the fact that God heals. Yes, he heals unbelievers too. Unbelievers survive cancer. They survive every kidney transplant. They survive heart transplants. When God, God is benevolent. He's a loving God. And if he wants to heal, if your time on earth is allocated to you, is not up, it doesn't matter what sickness you have, God will raise you up again, whether you're a believer or not. So it's not about that. God has the power to heal, yes. But the miraculous healings that the apostles did, nobody is doing it today. That was a sign for a time. And now the full canon of the word has been delivered to us. Now we, the word of God, the instructions, the commands of God has been delivered to us. We do not need the miracles that was done then anymore to prove the sovereignty of God. His sovereignty has been proven. He's delivered the word. Through a few chosen people, he performed those miracles. People say miracles still exist. What we call miracles nowadays are just God's simple benevolent acts. He does amazing things, but not miracles. You cannot compare them to the miracles in the Bible. You can't. Want to see anyone walk on water? No, you can't. You want to see anyone provide a meal for, for thousands of people out of two, two loaves of bread? No, you can't. Those are miracles. But as for something, God sending you a deliverer in a particular time of desperation, he sends someone your way who helps you out. That is, we call it a miracle nowadays, people will call it that, but it's just God's benevolent act. He can do anything and everything he chooses. He's all-powerful. So, you see, you've got to be careful what you follow, what teachings you're adhering to. Teachings that just point you towards this world, this world, what you have, have, what you must own, what is yours, what you must possess. They are not godly teaching and they will not draw you nearer to God. They deceive you as they lead you to hell. Jesus said a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. You cannot make it to the presence of God in the pre- under the ministration of a false teacher. We'll continue this this topic, um, this issue of the wiles of Satan in uh, the next time I'm on. Until then, may the Lord continue in his mercy to guard your hearts. Amen. <music>